April 2nd, 1976. Anything is in bad taste to some people. I mean, if you tell you know tell a story about sand or uh, rocks <laughs> or uh, you know whatever it might be. Oh, by the way, uh, another uh, rule of thumb there. Would you please hit the button there? Uh, I just like to try out my machine here, please. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Let's try it once more. <laughs> excellent, it's working. All right, George, look at that. The grid is all the way up there to 27 uh, microamps here. Right, let's try it once more, please. Excellent, it's working. Right, George, it's working. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. Don't laugh at that. I mean, the wonders of electronics never cease. Uh, they uh, uh, they go on and on. And uh, I heard uh, a medical report the other day where this guy came on, you know, that was giving these medical reports on television. Dr. Frank Fields is always reporting that they discovered a new, uh, tremendously revolutionary cure for athlete's foot. And he has the interviews of this guy, and they have charts and stuff. Well, uh, he, uh, somebody had this uh, guy on where they were saying that what they're going to do is they're going to cure various types of tooth problems, like uh, if you get, uh, you know, if you get an abscessed uh, tooth. He's not a terrible word, abscess. Ah, oh, ugh. <laughs> there are some words that turn you off just to hear them. But uh, anyway, they're, they're, they've, they've uh, worked out a way now where they can uh, treat this by giving you a tiny electrical shocks. You know, they put the little electrodes down there and down the bottom of the tooth, and they press the button, you know, and the machine goes, oh, wow. 
And then there's another pause. He presses it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you know, your, your tooth is all cured, right? Well, now, uh, I told you this is going to be in bad taste. I, I, mean, I just I told you now that when you're sitting here talking about decaying teeth and uh, abscessed wisdoms and so on, I wonder why they call a wisdom tooth the wisdom tooth. It's one thing that very few people actually have. I mean, it's kind of terrible to have a wisdom tooth and have an IQ of maybe six or seven, you know, but the, the facts of the matter are that, that uh, they, you know, they, they've worked out a system how they can use these little electrical shocks. And the guy mentioned the fact that they, that they used to do this. You know, they actually used to try to cure stuff with electrical shocks, all kinds of stuff. I was thinking about this. He says, yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember the time... Uh, I don't know whether you ever, as a kid, went through old houses. Did you ever go through old, empty, deserted houses? Boy, that's a, that's a great hobby. And uh, to anybody who's ever gone through a deserted house, you know, people have moved out, and they've been out of the house for many years, and the place is all boarded up. The kids invariably find a way to get through the basement windows. And what's been boarded up, they kick the boards aside, and they go down there, and, oh, it's fantastic stuffed on his papers laying on the floor and old uh, old beer bottles and you know the, the refuse of lives having been lived in this empty dusty house you know had, had, do you ever think of the stuff that you personally had thrown out that you regret having thrown out because today it would be worth a hell of a lot of dough or it would be a thing that you really should have have you ever, have ever you ever done anything like that? Do you ever look back on having thrown something out, and then years later you suddenly discovered it's a collector's item? Uh, you know, and you threw it out. <laughs> well, all right, I'll tell you one thing. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a, a a collector's item that I had when I was about six or seven. Do you ever have a pop gun? You know what a pop gun is? It's a it's this little gun that has a you know you you sort of cock the thing by operating this not a bb gun a pop gun and it has a cork in the front you know with a string on it you'll pop and the cork flies out right well i uh, i distinctly remember throwing away a pop gun now how did i have to throw away a pop gun well all right uh i was going through this closet i was you know i was about 17 or something like that. i had all this stuff that was thrown out uh, because uh, you know a new era had entered my life no longer was i interested in uh, you know, stuff like uh, whoopee cushions and sneezing powder and all that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, kids go through a period. I think this is a male thing. Now, I'm going to say this. I cannot imagine Gloria Steinem uh, putting whoopee cushions under people. However, uh, uh, there is a period at about 10 or 11 when male kids go through the practical joke stage. Do you agree with this? When... You know, there's nothing more exciting to you than the idea of having a can of sneezing powder. If you can only get a can of sneezing powder, and they always advertise it in the, in the back of kid magazines, you know, like Mad, it says, uh, a laugh a minute. Yes, barrels of fun. Amaze and mystify your friends. And uh, it's a sneezing powder, you know, and it shows some kid going, hot shoo, flying off. And, uh, of course, his friend has cleverly put sneezing powder in his peanut butter and jelly sandwich or shot it in the air. Well, I don't know how you use sneezing powder. I never got any of it. But uh, kids go through this period of, of uh, male kids of 
you know, practical jokes. Now, then there's another one that uh, that uh, is just equally uh, part of that practical joke. Phrase. Of course, the sneezing and throw your own voice. You ever seen those things advertised? The kid, it says, may amaze and mystify your friends. Learn to throw your voice. And it, the, the, the picture is always the same that they have in this ad. It shows this guy carrying a trunk. A guy, he's carrying a trunk on his back. And out of the trunk is this voice saying, help, help, let me out, help, help. And he's looking amazed. Help, 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 let me out. And you see in the background, you see this real smart-looking kid. So he's obviously throwing his voice, and everybody's amazed and mystified. Well, I did have one of those things one time. I did. I, I, I raised my hand and say that I am a mark. I mean, let's face it, I sent away to Johnson & Smith, the catalog or whatever it was that you sent to. It was $0.10 cents plus postage, which was like $0.08. Cents. And I waited about three weeks, and I got this thing back. And what it turned out to be was a little bent piece of tin. You remember that thing? A little bent piece of tin with like a hole in it with a little little diaphragm, like a kazoo or something in it. You were supposed to stick it under your tongue or above your tongue or in your teeth or some damn thing. And uh, the instructions were totally incomprehensible. It says, uh, read, enclosed diagram gives simple instructions on how to throw your voice. Practice makes perfect. Well, I went around for about a week with that thing stuck in my teeth, and I did not throw my own uh, voice, but I did manage to loosen three fillings. Now, uh, <laughs> that, that, of course, is, that's, uh, you know, that's all part of the game. Incidentally, that's a little piece of, uh, of uh, human existence that you never hear talked about, that terrible moment when you're sitting someplace eating something and a filling comes out. And, uh, it, <laughs> have you ever had this happen? Of course, everybody, you know. And uh, it can be really embarrassing, you know, the worst, uh, and, and hurt like hell, too, but it's really embarrassing. You know, you're sitting there talking to somebody, and, you're, and it, you're trying to play it up real big. You're an elegant person, and you, you bite into the celery, and there's a crunch. Oh, no. And you, you feel this chunk of silver or whatever it is. What is that stuff? They, yeah. Oh, but stop it now. For heaven's sake. I had this engineer that can flick his front teeth out just by flicking his uh, tongue. You know, the next thing you know, he's, it looks like he's got a tongue with seven fangs on it. When you stop that, that's awful. That's what my grandmother used to do. She, you know, her biggest party laugh was to sit there when everybody, you know, they're alone in the conversation, and she would make us dentures come on. Everyone laughed. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I just can't imagine Jackie Kennedy living in a family where they did that. I just can't imagine George Clinton even knowing about that sort of thing. Can you? Would you please uh, try my machine out again, friend? <laughs> oh, thank you. Phew. Well, all right. Let's let's get on with the with the existence of time, please. Would you please give me a little uh, a little uh, mood music, please, if you will? I want to set the mood, please. <laughs> salute a new hobby briefly in this moment in our time and uh, there is a new hobby which has been growing and that's the hobby of collecting cartoon music you know you take your tape recorder out and you tape the soundtrack of uh, Popeye meets the Ant-Man you know Saturday morning between Twinkie commercials this is different isn't it you know here's cartoon music because you get to that these cartoon camels going 
<laughs> They're all going along. And here's Popeye. I am what I am, and that's all I am. What was the name? All right, you see the, the Popeye cartoons. What was the name of the villain in the Popeye cartoons? That's right. Really mean-looking guy. Remember, he giant chest, and he had a very narrow waist, and uh, he was really mean. Hey, yeah, what was his name? That's correct. Now, uh, what was the name of uh, Pi in, in the cartoons we're talking about? I'm talking about the Saturday morning cartoons. What was the name of his girlfriend? Popeye. Oh, right. Of course, olive oil. And uh, she, from time to time, in a few of the very rare cartoons, her relatives came into the picture. She had a cousin. What was his name? Well, I'll give you a clue. It, it, uh, his initials were H.G. Right, Ham Gravy. Now, that's stupid, right? Can't imagine a cousin named Ham Gravy. But then again, I can't imagine a sailor named Popeye. But uh, uh, what was the name? All right, okay. What was the name of the little animal I had in this cartoon all the time? He was a little animal that ran around and he ate, uh, he ate uh, as a matter of fact, uh, orchids. The only thing he would eat. What was his name? <laughs> well, this was a surrealistic cartoon. I mean, any, you know, kids grew up watching... Cartoons. I'm not talking about the paper cartoons, the, the cartoons that appeared in the paper. The, I'm talking about the cartoons on the screen. I mean, when you when you see animals that eat orchids, and there are people named Ham Gravy. I mean, uh, you're just uh, this is just simply not Wonder Woman. Uh, well, <laughs> well, all right, all right. I, it's uh, this WOR New York you're listening to. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. We're all products of thousands of. Uh, of impressions made on our head before we had any choice about it. And uh, the reason, of course, that uh, there's a certain uh, curious giddiness about tonight's uh, episode is that I'm feeling spring badly. I mean, really, uh, even though it's, it's chilly and all, I still feel spring in my head. Now, why am I feeling spring? Well, it's just smell. It's spring. Uh... Does everybody feel the same excitement in spring? Or is that a sign of advancing senility when you no longer recognize even the seasons passing? <laughs> no, I really, seriously, I really dig spring. I think spring, uh, to me, is the most exciting of all times of the year. I mean, to get away from... I hate winter. I hate winter. And any time I see a guy that has a sign on the back of his car that says, Think Snow, I wish I had an anti-tank gun, you know, mounted on the hood of my car. Think Snow, all right. How about this? Think 88 millimeters. Boom! You know, blow him right off of Route 22. Speaking of Route 22, I saw a truck the other day uh, <laughs> barreling along Route 22. He must have been going about 107 miles an hour. You know how these trucks go roaring along, you know, and poor little Volkswagens are flying out from in front of them like uh, like ants trying to get out of the way of an elephant. And he's just... He was leaving a trail of smoke behind him. These great big diesel pipes. And he was going along Route 22 like a, a juggernaut. And, and it was all kinds of dirt on the back of his truck. Well, you know what's usually written in the dirt on the back of a truck, like, wash me, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Occasionally there's an obscenity. Uh, but somebody had written on the back of his truck, and, and you know, couldn't have been more ironical on this guy because this guy was like uh, King Kong of the highway. He was rolling along in these great big tires with big metal studs on them, and uh, these two big pipes that came up over the side of his cab, belching black smoke behind them, and he was just roaring along. It's tremendous. As a matter of fact, uh, he he passed me. I'm just going along saying in the. Uh, the normal speed of Route 22 is, which is maybe oh, 105, 115, something like that. I'm just roaring along, see, just with everybody else. See, when all of a sudden this guy just roared by me. Well, he went by me. I want to tell you, like as if you were floating around out at Jones Beach in an inner tube, and the Queen Mary went right by you. I want to tell you, the wake was unbelievable. And, oh, my car is tossing and pitching in the wake. Turbulence. See, as a pilot, I can tell you that there's a problem that all pilots know about. It's called wake turbulence. And it's a killer. What is wake turbulence? Well, it's what it sounds like. It's when a big jet plane comes down or takes off and even just flies through the air. It leaves behind it an invisible uh, trail behind it from the wingtips, not from the body of the plane, but from the wingtips, and they revolve in opposite directions. One revolves clockwise, and the other revolves counterclockwise. And these things lay invisibly in the air. You don't even see them. And they're called wingtip turbulence. And it's, uh, it's, it's really something else. Prop planes don't do it. They don't get quite up, uh, up to the speed. Or the, there's a lot of reasons why. But the, these are jet things. They leave these things behind them. And they'll lay for sometimes 15 or 20 minutes in the air and sink, incidentally, in the air. They, that, that turbulence lays in the air and sinks slowly, but remains lethal. And so you may be flying along in your little Cherokee 140. You see, you're just putting along there, and there's nothing in the sky. Everything is, I mean, you look around, there's absolutely nothing. You see, the horizon is hundreds of miles. Oh, I'll tell you. And you fly along, you just pot along there, and, and, and you're absolutely legal, clear on the, you know, just uh, right on the ball, on the beam. Your old Omni is popping away there, and you're flying at 4,000 feet or 8,000, whatever you're flying along, and everything's cool and copacetic. And you're just going along there, and, and uh, you've got your earphones on, and you're listening to a couple of guys jabbering away down at LaGuardia or something, and and everything is reading good, when all of a sudden, your plane flips up on its behind, <laughs> your wingtip goes down, and man, oh man, I'm telling you, you're liable to find yourself going, you know what, over tea kettle, end over end. Whoo! It's a killer. Oh, many, many a guy. Uh, this is a great danger. Now, now that's that's really something when you're you know flying well up out of the uh, range of an airport when all of a sudden you run into this scene that's uh that's vortex uh turbulence it's uh it's a it's a killer now on the other hand if if uh, if a plane takes off see he goes roaring down the runway it does not begin this turbulence i don't know why i'm telling you this turbulence does not begin to be operative until the aircraft is actually airborne which means that as the plane goes right down the runway, this jet, say DC-10 or a, or a DC-8 or something like that, he's got this baby, you know, firewall. He goes, whoa, he takes off. Well, you're flying in. You're going to land after him, you see. You look down there, and, and uh, if you land before the point 
Or in other words, before the point of his actual becoming airborne, if you land before that point, you're okay. But if you come in after that point, you land and find yourself in the bay so fast you won't know what hit you. So, uh, you know, these, these mysterious forces are constantly with us. You can't fight. It's bring it up. Don't worry, baby. I know all about that. You cannot fight. How can I put it? I have to come up with a, a phrase here. Psychobiological invisible wing turbulence. You know, some guy wrote me a note, and he said, uh, he says, well, this uh, little, uh, and it was, he included a kind of a, a certificate, see, and he says, this certificate, and it was all decorated with all kinds of birds and stuff, and it was on fake parchment, he says, this certificate is in honor of the three listeners last week alone who passed away during your commercial break waiting for your show to come back on. <laughs> Oh, well, listen, don't worry. We, 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 we've only got uh, a few more to wade through. Well, that's comparatively few. I mean, anything under 25 is few in this day and age. Just, just worry. Uh, you, you can really begin to worry about I'm beginning to worry about myself, you know? They always say that the first uh, sign of, of really, uh, you know, uh, approaching insanity is when you begin to enjoy misery. Oh, yes. Oh, there are people, you know, oh, absolutely. A, a true paranoia enjoys the sense of being pursued. Their life only has meaning when there's something after them. And I am beginning to enjoy commercials. Now, what the... I mean, I'm really worried. And if you find yourself enjoying sitting around watching ladies wearing funny fur hats while you're getting an olive omelet, and you're in the middle of New York's traffic jams, and, uh, you know, the budget crunch is going on, and everybody's striking. You know, I have a feeling that in New York, eventually, we're going to have a union that will compo be composed only of strikers. Uh, in other words, it'll be a union for strikers. Because after all, you know, when you're striking all the time, you can't really be honestly called a, a plumber or a teacher or something. You're actually a striker if you spend more time doing that. So I think strikers themselves should have a union. You know, I imagine the Teamsters would be glad to form a strikers local. You know, they could strike for more uh, livable conditions for strikers. You know, better signs. Uh, you know, signs that have uh, comfortable pistol grips instead of those old rotten old signs. You know, you get all the splinters in your hands. And, uh, yeah. What was on the truck? Oh, you want to know what it said on the truck? This guy went roaring by? You want to know about that? I don't know whether I should tell you. It's spring. Oh, it's Spring, spring, dee, 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 dee. Give me that LP that I gave you there. That little spring music. Right, the second one. Second, second Spring, spring has slowly crept up on us on my feet. Spring, the dandruff of the ages, or the vast green squad of the Jersey marshes. I can always tell it's spring because when you're driving along the Jersey Turnpike around exit 12, the aromas of Jersey grow even richer and riper than they 
Oh, yes. They're getting so good now. They're all kinds of inter, inter, little interwoven, subtle counterpoints to the usual gaseous aroma that it surrounds the jersey in its normal, uh, in its normal tick. What are some of the new aromas? Well, we're beginning to smell the smell now of dead toads and frogs and burning truck tires, which always herald the coming spring in Jersey. So, as part of today, thank you very much, Arthur. That was very nice. Spring, I think it is time to recognize spring. You notice that none of the television shows ever mention the change of season. Speaking of television shows, I must salute Police Woman. I must salute Police Woman, which is one of the basically funny shows, uh, underlying humor. Poor little Angie Dickinson, you know, they opened up that little poor little Angie Dickinson firing that great big 44 cold, you know. Oh, yes, television is such a such an intellectual treat. And uh, I must salute uh, TV, though. Uh, wasn't it Policewoman that provided the plot for the recent Brinks robbery? Oh, do you, mean, you don't know about this? Well, you know, they, they knocked over Brinks. Yes, and uh, they did it with all these vans and all this stuff, and the van opened up, and it was this 20-millimeter <laughs> anti-aircraft gun. It was taken right off the plot of, of, uh, of Policewoman. See, three weeks before... Uh, they had the same plot, exactly the same thing with the vans, with the 20-millimeter anti-aircraft anti gun and all that. Now, uh, can't you just see a bunch of guys sitting around, you know, the old mob headquarters, guys named Lefty and Greasy Thumb and all that. They sit there watching TV. Because <laughs> police want to see it. Hey, hey, Lefty, come on in here. And at that point, Lefty, who's, you know, he's out there spraying the neighborhood with... Uh, with 12-gauge shotgun pellets, you know, just to keep his eye in. He comes over from the window, and he says, What do you want? He's lefty. Let me, let me, come on, sit down, sit down, watch this show. And lefty says, Oh, you out of here, bud, watching some damn police show. What are you talking about? Are you on the side of the cops now? What do you mean? He says, No, take a look at what these guys are doing here. Look at this. Look at this. They got the van, see? And that, that, that 20 millimeter anti-tank. He was in the... Uh, he was in the artillery. What do you say we get one of them cannons? You know how to fire one of them 105s. You learn how to do that. Why don't we get one of them cannons? The hell with all this business messing around with them little, them little 38s and all that. So we get ourselves a 105, huh? And we put it in the back of your your uh, Chevy Econo van, right? We mount it in the back there. We go out and get some tin hats, and we open it back up, and then we just go, boom! I'll tell you this. We could just blow the top off any bank. Just blow the top right off it. Then we move in with our tank. We get a bunch of guys dressed in artillery uh, uniforms and costumes of, uh, you know, right out of the infantry. We can knock over anything. Now, the question I'd like to ask here, I want to I ask, uh, ask the uh, people who, you know, who are in charge of the police department, have you noticed how easily Angie Dickinson and Earl Hollowell, or Holloway, what's his name, Earl Hollowell, is it Hollowell? Earl something there. Earl Holloman. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, 
Did you notice that Angie and Earl had no trouble solving the problem? I mean, let's face it. Those guys in that that uh, uh, policewoman's script there, when they came up and they robbed the, the, the Brinks people and they had the 20-millimeter gun, by the end of the show, Earl and Angie had collared them, right? Now, that means there's a vast gulf of reality difference there. It's a... It's a uh, in short, they have not yet collared them in real life, have they? So I'm going to suggest to the police department, for God's sakes, get a copy of that show and run it there for all the, the lieutenants and all the detectives to see how the hell Angie and Earl did it. Just little Angie did it. Now, wouldn't that be fantastic if they run the show and they actually do it the same way Earl? <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of pigs, you know what. I like the time, you know. Have you ever been robbed? You never have, huh? Well, like the time, oh yes. I mean, if you you haven't lived in Midtown New York, then everybody's lived in Midtown New York has been robbed at least maybe 20 or 30 times in the last five years, see. And I'll never forget the first time I was robbed. I, I suddenly discovered the difference between television and, and real life. Is uh, you know this guy busted in the apartment. This was oh, this was five six years ago. You know, low ten years ago. Something the guy broke in the apartment. I guess it was a guy. I don't know. Anyway, the apartment was busted into, and I came back and there's a stuff all over the place. And of course, you know, you don't see this kind of thing on television. But what Cannon shows up, and by the end of the uh, episode, Cannon has collared the baddies, and it's all see. So I called up the cops, and the guy says, "What? What do you want? To, what do you want to report?" And I says, "I've been robbed." He says, "Yeah." You really sound Rob, Rob, they broke into my apartment. Oh, well. All right. Uh, I suppose you want us to come over. Oh, gee, where's officer? Yes, please. I mean, if you will, you know, how they do on the policewoman and all that, you know, with the clues and come with the, with the fingerprints and that. Says, all right, all right, we'll send somebody over. How long are you going to be there, huh? I said, well, I'll hang around as long as it takes. Well, how about next Wednesday? So at that point... You know, I says, well, all right. So, sure enough, a couple of hours, it seems like an endless time later, this guy shows up, and he's a, he's a plain clothes. You ever had a plain clothesman show up in your house? So he knocks, and I open the door, and here's a real hip-looking cop, and he's got a mustache and all. I felt really good, because at first he looked a little like McLeod. See, uh, you know, I figured, but I'm in good hands here. He did. He had, he had sunglasses, and he had... You know, he had the beard and all that, the mustache. He looked a little like McLeod. See, so I says, oh, officer, come in. He showed me the badge. So he comes in. I left everything the way it was. You know, it was all piled up, all of this before. And uh, he says, what do they take, huh? What do they take? So I start to tell him what they took. You know, I'm going on. He said, oh, why? you called me over for this? He said, he said, you know, you probably was going to throw out half of that junk anyway. I says, I was what? He said, oh, half that stuff you probably would have thrown out anyway. He said, uh, all right, I'll take it down. And he writes the stuff down. And uh, he says, uh, we'll be in touch. Anything turns up. I've heard that so many times. Many is an audition I've had where they say, we'll be in touch. When anybody ever says to you, we'll be in touch if anything turns up. Forget it. And so tonight we salute Angie Dickinson and Earl Holloman. <laughs> a most unlikely pair of cops and all the other cop teams. <laughs>
worked so great together. Uh, Starsky and Futch, or <laughs> those two guys are. Oh yeah, they solve more problems. Or is it? Is it? Uh, 